you're here today. Are you ready to celebrate the resurrection some more? Amen? Yeah. Amen? Yeah. This is the, uh, for Christians, the highest, holiest day of the year. For it is in this day that we celebrate, we celebrate the resurrection, that we have our power in Jesus Christ, our strength. I want to talk to you today to start with about the power of a sting. You know, I'm not a big fan of bees and wasps. When I was uh, in high school, my dad had honeybees. I mean, several hives of them out on this, our property that we had. It was just an acre, so they weren't very far away from the house. And my dad would go out and harvest the honey. So he put this big suit on, you know, that protected him. And it had a mask, you know, a little netting across his face, protected from the bees. And I would watch all that, and I thought, that's just crazy standing there. Because he'd be out there, you know, reaching in and pulling honey out of these hives. And bees are just, just all over the place. And I said, did they ever sting you, Dad? And he said, yeah, several times. Several times? I don't want to be out there for one time, much less several times. But he just stayed out there and did his thing. And I tried to stay as far away from it as I could. I wasn't interested in the, the bee stuff. He even got a second suit, you know, so I could wear it. I said, I'm sorry, I just can't do that. So fast forward, you know, everybody has bee stings in their life. You know, those kind of things happen. Uh, about two years ago, I'm walking out in the backyard, and I'm going to go mow. So I'll, I, we have a little shed out back. It's kind of raised off the ground. I'm staying there going to get the mower out. I start pulling it out, and I feel something on my legs, and I look down, and these bees are just kind of like all over my legs. And I'm like, ah, turn around, trying to run to the house, you know. Oh, it's hurting, you know. I have to go in and get the stingers out. It's terrible stuff. I hate getting stung. And then just recently, we had a guy come over to do some tree work at our house, cut some trees down, and so we've got some, an area in the front where there's a lot of vines, you know, vines on the ground, kind of ivy stuff, and I wasn't there, but Heather told the story to me. She said she was looking out there at the sky, and he was up by one of the trees, and all of a sudden, he just jumped in the air and started running toward the street as fast as he could, and he's ripping off his shirt, and I'm like, what in the world? She talked to him later and said, he got into a hornet's nest. And they were all after him. And I didn't know this about hornets, but when they get angry, they don't let up. I mean, they like chase you down the street. And this guy was running, and they were attacking him. <clears throat> so I'm not a fan of getting stung, right? I don't think anybody is. But I want to kind of make a point with that this morning because there's a big truth we're going to take in today. So here's kind of our first big point this morning. The power of a sting makes you live in fear of what can sting you, Right? So just knowing that it's going to hurt makes you want to do anything you can to stay away from what can sting you. I have a hard time going out in the front yard still because I don't know if them hornets are still there or not. The guy told Heather where they were, and so I went to the store and got some of those, you know, wasp spray in a can kind of thing. And I'm looking for the one that has the furthest reach with a spray, right, you know? And so I'm out there just then run back inside, you know, get another can back out there, and take off again. I don't like going out there. I don't know if they're there or not still to this day because I don't want to go where a hornet can sting me, right? You live in fear of what you know can sting you. The Bible makes it clear that you and I <coughs> excuse me, have an enemy. There is someone who is out to get us. The Bible says he has come to steal, kill, and destroy. That enemy is Satan himself. And he has a protege 
that he works with. He's got a sidekick that he takes with him that does almost all of his bidding, and he loves to keep him nearby. It's someone that really didn't exist until after Adam and Eve sinned. Before they sinned, this figure did not exist in Scripture. This figure is death. Death throughout Scripture parades around silently, but very powerfully. He moves to destroy, to kill, to bring an end, to cause separation, to separate a man's spirit from his body, to separate man from God, to separate man from one another, and he's very effective at it. And God had warned Adam and Eve that it would happen. He had given the warning because he told them not to eat the fruit from a certain tree in the garden. And he said, if you do, in the day that you do that, in the day that you rebel against me, in the day that you choose to do your own thing, in the day you think you are more wise than me, and you choose, in the day that you sin, you shall die. And it happened. What God says comes to pass. Now, they didn't instantly drop to the ground in that moment. But what happened was death became part of them. Now, they would physically die. Now, they were separated from God because instantly they both ran and hid from God. They were filled with guilt, shame, embarrassment, and they began to have in them the power of death. They were stung by sin. You know, I, I was doing some reading about other things that can sting besides bees. And I found that there are some pretty painful things that sting. I read about a wasp that's called the tarantula hawk. That's like two inches long. Can you imagine a wasp two inches long landing on your arm like, ah! you know, that'd be terrible. I read about the Amazon giant centipede that's 12 inches long. I read about the Arizona bark scorpion. Hey, that's in our own country, the Arizona bark scorpion, that if it stings you, the symptoms include numbness, blurred vision, convulsions, rapid breathing, and vomiting. That's a whole lot worse than a bee sting, right? It's terrible. And then I read about perhaps the worst sting possible. In not only the amount of pain that it inflicts, but in what it does. It doesn't just produce symptoms, it actually causes death. The fire urchin causes death. If it stings you, there's no hope for you. You're going to die. The Bible makes it clear that where there is sin, it is a stinger. And that stinger is sure to inflict death. So the Bible asks a question in the New Testament. It says, oh, death, where is your sting? Death, if death was a person we were talking to, them, hey, death, where is the sting? What is your greatest weapon that you use into the lives of people? What do you use to sting them? What is it that you inject that causes death? And the Bible makes it clear that the sting of death is 
sin. Whenever we sin, we are stung in that moment and injected with the poison of sin, and it causes death. It causes ultimately physical death, but it also causes, as we mentioned, death in separation from God, death in relationships. You know what it's like in your family when one of them goes, one person in your family kind of goes rogue and just lives in sin and is out to hurt other people. And you even say, I think that relationship is dead because sin causes that in our lives. The sting of death is sin. You see it throughout Scripture. You find situations where there should have been brothers who loved one another, Esau and his brother who should have loved one another, but they hated one another. You find situations where a man who was called to be a king should have walked in righteousness and integrity, but sin stung him and David committed adultery. You see situations like Moses where He should have walked in what God had called him to walk in, but instead he chose to murder a man and he lived in fear. Sin stung him and the sting caused death. The Old Testament, however, told the story of one who would come to free man from death. It was a prophecy. And there are veiled pictures throughout that told about this one who would come. The prophet Isaiah wrote about him. He said, this man would be despised and rejected. He'd be a man of sorrows. He'd be acquainted with grief. He would actually bear our griefs. And he would be wounded for our transgressions. He'd be bruised for our iniquities. And God would lay on him the iniquity of us all. These beautiful prophecies in the Old Testament of someday someone who would come. A king but a suffering servant the Son of God, but the Son of Man. He would come and He would bear the sting. He would take what has stung man and bring life to Him. Now we all know, because we live on this side of the New Testament, that Jesus was the one. Jesus was the one who came. Jesus is the one who came to bring life where there had been death. And He walked and He tabernacled among us. He was committed to following God's ways. In fact, after walking before the people for so long, showing miracles, proving the power of God, proving who he was, saying that he had come to lay down his life for his friends, the Bible says that one day the people rose up against him and they had him arrested. They had him beaten. They had him crucified. Jesus took himself the sting of man's sin. All the vile wickedness of man, the anger, the jealousy, all that man could pour out, he poured out against Jesus. The Bible says this about Jesus in 1 Peter. It says, Who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree. The tree is a reference there to the cross. Jesus was nailed to the cross and in all of the scourging, all of the pain from the crown, all of the pain from the nails in his hands and in his feet, he was bearing the sting of sin. Now not just sin in general, but our 
sin, your failures, your weaknesses, the areas that you know that you haven't told anybody about, the thoughts, the doubts, the sins, Jesus bore those in his body. He felt the piercing of the crown of thorns, but he also felt the piercing of shame, of condemnation, of rejection. He bore what we've all borne. He came to take the sting. Mm. The Bible says that there on the cross, bearing all of that, Jesus reached a place where he would even say, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I have to believe in that moment that Jesus was truly bearing the weight of sin. He was bearing the horror of our guilt and he was experiencing what it is like to be separated from his father. The scripture says that God made him who knew no sin to be sin. In that moment, he took every punishment that you and I deserved. We were the ones that deserved the sting. We were the ones who had sinned. And in this moment, Jesus was taking the totality of sin in its most worst and vile form, and he allowed himself to be stung with it. And the Bible says that there, Jesus bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. Jesus on the cross bearing sin died. Death claimed another victim. It's what it had been doing ever since the garden. Every soul born had sinned and every one died. Death didn't miss anybody. There were some along the way who were miraculously raised from the dead only to die again. Death kept getting his way because wherever there's sin, there will be death. Sin is the stinger and death claims its victim. So here's Jesus on the cross and he dies bearing the sting, sin. He truly dies. We read in Scripture that the friends of Jesus came and took his body down. Lifeless body. No more life in it. And they placed his body in a tomb. A place of death. And the followers of Jesus mourned. The family of Jesus mourned. Satan reveled in the moment, and the enemies of Jesus <clears throat> thought they had won. Jesus dies. 
he takes on death. And in the first round, it appears that death has won. Jesus did bear the painful and poisonous sting of death, our sin. This is really important in Scripture. It's really important to our faith to understand this, that Jesus really did bear your sin, your sin. Not just general sin, but your specific sin. He bore it that day. And I know from Earth's perspective, as family and and loved ones and friends are gathered around, they see the tomb door rolled into place, and it stops, and it's sealed by the Roman guard, and they walk away from the tomb, and it's Friday. All their hopes were gone. It's Friday. Pain, grief, sorrow fills their heart on Friday. They're uncertain about the future. They fear what's going to happen. They're uncertain about what will happen in their lives next, and it's Friday. And the Bible says that Friday passed, Saturday passed, and from the outside of the tomb, it looked as though nothing was happening, that death was winning. But the real activity is taking place on the other side of the tomb door. In some passages of Scripture that are kind of obscure, that you have to do a little bit of research with, you find that Jesus was very active on the other side of the tomb door. His body had been placed in there, but his spirit had been separated for a time. And the Bible says that when that happened, Jesus descended into the lower parts of the earth. He was going somewhere. He had a plan. He had a purpose. He had a mission. And the Bible makes it clear that Jesus left there, descended in the lower parts of the earth, and he went to the place called the place of the dead. He went to the place where every person who had trusted God had died. And their spirits were there. You see, heaven hadn't been opened yet because Jesus hadn't finished the plan yet. And so here were all of these souls. Here was David's, Isaiah's, Jeremiah's, all these great men and women of faith. They are there and they're waiting. The book of Hebrews says that they all died not having the promise fulfilled and they're waiting there. And Jesus is active behind the tomb door. From outside, it looks like nothing's happening. But on the inside, something powerful is happening. Jesus has gone down to the place of the dead. And he marches up and he looks in, not with grief at what he sees, but with victory in his hands. Because he has just paid for sin. He has just become the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He is now the one who holds the keys to death and the grave. And he takes those doors, puts the key in, rips them off their hinges and said, Come on, folks, let's go. And he ushers out those saints who had died and he leads them right up into the presence of God. I don't know if you've read that before, but it's in the Bible. It's there. You see, Jesus was active. He had work to do, and he was setting free those who had been waiting in the place of the dead. Mm. But the work wasn't finished. 
You see, it's Saturday. It's late Saturday, and Jesus has finished that work, and now he's about to have his spirit reunited with his body. That body has been in the tomb, but something's about to happen. Something great is about to happen. Matthew 28 picks up the story for us here, and it says this. Now, after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn. In other words, it's now Sunday. It's the first day of the week, and it's about to dawn. It's early Sunday. Friday was terrible, but this is now Sunday. Friday had been filled with pain. This is now Sunday. Friday seems so hopeless, but this is now Sunday. Friday seems so dark when the clouds covered the earth and Jesus died, but this is now Sunday. And Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. The scripture says, and behold, there was a great earthquake. Something unexpected happened. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. How about that? The very thing that was holding them from their Lord, the very thing that they feared, the very thing that they thought was going to be the end of all the promises, there's an angel just sitting on top of it like, yo, what's up? I'm sitting on a tomb door. We just rolled it out the way. You might want to take a look inside. He's sitting on it. You only sit on things that you have overcome. Hello? And this angel is sitting there on this door. The thing that had sealed them and cut them off from their Lord, this angel had just made it a chair. It says in verse 3, they looked at him and his countenance was like lightning. I mean, this guy had it going on. You looked at him and it's like, Whoa! I mean, he's, he's with it. And his clothing as white as snow. Now, my wife's dad always wears a white suit on Easter. So I kind of think of him sometimes like this. So I'm sure he's preaching today in a church. He's wearing this white suit. But this is something different. This is an angel. His countenance is like lightning. His clothing is white as snow. And it says, and the guards, these tough Roman dudes, shook for fear of him. And became like dead men. I mean, they're just terrified at it, and they fall down dead. It goes on. It says, but the angel answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. You came here thinking there was death. You came here still thinking like Friday. You came here still thinking with no future. You came here still thinking your sin is still intact. You came here still thinking like Friday. And the angel says, but behold, he is not here for he is risen. You can look inside this tomb, but he is not there anymore. He's risen. He's up. He's done it. He paid for sin first off. He took the sting and he lived. He defeated death. He took it on himself and he defeated it because he rose again. And Jesus was alive with power and God had brought victory. Ooh, 
man, he took the sting. He took what had separated man. He took what had filled man with fear. He took what caused men to just live as slaves. You see, that's what happens when you live with the stinger still in. When you live with sin still stuck in your side, you, you walk about in fear all the time. You walk about wondering, I don't know what's going to happen when I die. I know I'll probably stand before the Lord, but I don't know if I've done enough good things or not. No. Some people live in fear that, that they haven't done enough good things and that their sin's going to outweigh their good things. And so they live in fear of standing before God. They still live in uncertainty. They don't have any confidence. The Bible says those who have accepted Jesus Christ and know he's forgiven them, they will actually have confidence in the day of judgment. They'll stand there with certainty saying, I know my sin's been dealt with. I know Jesus took it. I know Jesus took the stinger and he is now alive. It's not Friday anymore. It's Sunday. He's opened the way. And the New Testament book of Hebrews says this is what he did. That through death, he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is, the devil. And release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Can you imagine living your entire life in fear of the day you'd stand before the Lord? You know, if you haven't come to Jesus Christ, if you haven't dealt with the fact that he took your sin, I'm going to pretty much assume and know that it's true that that's what you're living in. You're still living in fear. You're still living uncertain. You're still living with this uncertainty about the day you die. And so here on this earth, this side of it, you're trying to do all you can to try to fix it trying to make sure you do good enough. And some of that doesn't work for you, so you try to medicate it somehow because the fear is too great. The terror is too much. The uncertainty is too great. So you medicate it. You drink about it. You smoke about it. You drug about it because you've got to do something because it's tearing you up on the inside. Jesus came that he might free you from that that he might destroy him who has the power of death, that he might free those who have lived their entire life in bondage. If you're in bondage, you're a slave. You're a slave to what controls you. Could be fear. Could be sin. Could be wrong relationship. But it's destroying you. It's, it's keeping you. It's keeping you from going where you want to go. It's keeping you from doing what you really want to do. It's causing you to live a slave. And Jesus says, I've come to free you. You see, in his resurrection, Jesus arrested death and forever removed its sting. Watch this. If I still carry around my sin, if I still carry around in my heart all the things I've ever done, 
And I worry about them. I stress about them. And I live as a slave. Then I don't get anywhere with God. I don't have any peace. Jesus comes and says, look, I have come and I have taken the sting. I have taken your sin into myself. I bore it in my body so that you can be free. So that those who put their faith in him say and believe Jesus took the sting. I don't have to bear it anymore. I'm free. I receive his forgiveness. I receive the victory. And I walk now with peace. I'm no longer a slave. If I know he's taken my sin then I even am confident in death. Because for the believer, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And I don't have to fear. Are all my sins going to be played on the movie screen? Is everybody going to know? Am I going to have to pay for what I've done? Is there going to be this great accounting and we're going to measure up? No. You're either going to have received the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and be cleansed from your sins, or you will not have, and you'll go off into everlasting punishment, the Bible says. It's that clear. And Jesus says, I have come to take the sting and remove it so you don't have to live any longer with the fear of the sting of death, your sin. Amen? Now today, death has been arrested. Have you ever seen somebody arrested? I'm not going to ask you if you've been arrested. We won't do that. But have you ever seen someone arrested? You've seen the cop shows. Maybe you've seen on the side of the highway. You saw the bad guy, the bad girl, whoever it was. They got taken and they had their arms placed behind them and they, had, they were handcuffed or big zip tied, whatever it was. And they were taken away, Right? They were put in a car, and they were taken away and put in a cell. They didn't die in the moment. They were taken away and put away. The day that Jesus paid for sin and rose from the dead, he conquered death. It can never affect him again. And what he did in effect that day was arrest death. He said, all right, death, you've had your day. You've you've killed You've destroyed lives from the beginning. I have defeated you. Death, give me your arms. He takes death and he arrests him. He renders him powerless over him. Are you with me? But Jesus says now, for all who will believe in me, you also will walk in the newness of life and no longer in death. And so death becomes arrested for all who would believe. I no longer have to fear that day. Amen? I no longer even have to fear today, will God reject me? Has God removed himself from me? Is God against me? No. I am in Jesus Christ. He has forgiven me and he is for me and he is with me. Death has been arrested. Amen? 
He has no power in the life of the believer unless you're just giving it to him. But he says death has been arrested and his sting forever, forever removed. You and I will die one day physically. But this spirit will go to be directly with the Lord Jesus Christ. This body will be placed in a ground unless the Lord himself returns first. But there's coming a day when all of those who have had this separation of spirit with the Lord, body in the ground, there's coming a day when Jesus will return, when there'll be a shout, when there'll be a calling, and those bodies that are in the ground will be resurrected. Guess what? To join once again with those spirits that have gone to be with Christ. And there'll be a great resurrection of all who have believed. We pick up 1 Corinthians 15 and it tells a story like this. It says, but when this corruptible, this weak, this body here shall put on incorruption. When that day comes, when I get my new body and my spirit back together. He says, and when this mortal that can die now has put on immortality, that which will never die. He says, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. You see, death has been arrested right now. He's put in check. But there's coming a day when he'll no longer even be in the prison. He will be destroyed, done away with, and death will be no more and will be forever with the Lord. Amen? That death will be swallowed up in the victory won by Jesus Christ. And so 1 Corinthians continues, and it asks the question that we began with today. It asks this question, hey, death, where is your sting? Can you imagine having that conversation with death in that day? Hey, death, where is your sting? And death responds and says, hey, my sting is your sin, your vile thoughts, your wickedness. Your evil rebellion of God. You say, wait a minute, death. I didn't say, what is your sting? I said, where is your sting? Well, my sting is what has kept you all these years from experiencing the life that you wanted to live. It's kept you away from what all God had for you because you had this sin. And you say, death, I'm going to tell you one more time. I didn't ask you what is your sting? Death, where is your sting? And all of a sudden, death gets a little uncomfortable. All of a sudden, death isn't saying so much anymore. And so you respond and you say, I know where your sting is, death. Not a word from death. You say, let me tell you, your sting that you've intended for me your sting that you've used to create fear throughout all of man's life, all the fear that you've injected, your sting, I'll tell you where it is, death. That sting was placed into the body of Jesus Christ on that cross, and you were rendered useless. That's where your sting is, death. Hello? Amen. Grave, where's your victory? Grave, you've had a lot of victories over time. Where's your victory today? Grave's quiet, because grave knows he gave up the Lord Jesus Christ. 
He couldn't defeat him. He couldn't hold him down. And all of those who will put their faith in him will live as well. Grave, where's your victory? Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ won the victory that day. But I want to point out one word to you today. Two, in fact. Look at this passage. Thanks be to God who, look at it, gives us. One more time. Gives us. One more time. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Not only did Jesus rise to be victorious over sin and death and the grave, all those who put their faith in him, he gives you the victory too. It is yours. It's yours now. It's yours to walk in resurrection power in you. You don't have to live in fear of judgment one day. You don't have to live in fear of what will happen to you one day because your sins were nailed to the cross, pierced by the stinger into Jesus, and he took it and he rose victorious over it. Amen? This is the message of the gospel This is the message of Jesus. And he calls us today to live not thinking like Friday, but knowing it's Sunday. Friday, I didn't know about my future, but now it's Sunday. Friday, I was still uncertain about my sins, but today is Sunday. Friday, I was still living in guilt and shame, Friday was dark. Friday was brutal. But today is Sunday. Have you made that transaction in your mind and your heart with Christ? Have you come to the place where you said, God, I have lived in fear and terror because of my sin. But I thank you that you took the sting on the cross and you overcame it. And then you gave me the victory. That kind of prayer this morning, if you're praying that, it can bring you to a place of victory where you walk in that this week. No fear of what could happen to you. Would you bow your heads as we pray today? Heavenly Father, this morning, we are grateful for what you did. That while we were still sinners,